If you take your Bibles this morning and turn over to Psalm 48. Psalm 48, if you'll stand with me as I read the first three verses. From Psalm 48, it says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, in the city of our God, in the mountain of His holiness. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. God is known in her palaces for a refuge. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. As we focus upon your greatness, we pray that you would open our eyes, that you would warm our hearts, increase our faith. May we know your greatness in each of our lives. May you be glorified. Help us to focus upon you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. I preached from this passage just uh, last month when we were out with the quartet, and the Lord has just uh, burdened my heart to focus some more on uh, this text. But when you hear the word great, what do you think of? You know, it becomes a very uh, flippant word almost uh, at times, doesn't it? Uh, You know, we think of, what's some great food? So I'll talk with Dr. Lucan. We'll talk about Yakinville. If you want some great country eating, go to Old Stage Grill. If you want some great barbecue, where would you go? Little Richards. Uh, So, you know, we think along that line. Think of sports. Great basketball player, Michael Jordan. I mean, that's what comes to mind. But when I was thinking along that line, you know, one of the, you think of great plays, you know, down through the years. So back in 2007, so most of you wouldn't remember uh, this, Super Bowl, New England Patriots playing the New York Giants. New England has been undefeated the whole season. So they're seeking to become the only other team besides the Miami Dolphins to, win, to go undefeated through the season and the playoffs. So, close game. Patriots are ahead, fourth quarter. The Giants are driving. Third down, five to go. Less than a minute left in uh, the game. And uh, Eli Manning goes back to pass. He's grabbed by a couple of New England defenders. Somehow he escapes from their claws, uh, scrambles out to the side, throws a pass downfield. The receiver is closely covered, catches the ball against his helmet, falling to the ground and holds on to it. And the Giants didn't score a touchdown and upset the New England Patriots. They call that a great play, a great catch. Any of you remember that, uh, you know, particular play? So we we think of great, but how does that compare when we talk about God is great? I mean, there's no comparison. Uh, All of that just, just pales when we say here, great is the Lord. 
and greatly to be praised. And so as we go through this psalm this morning, you know, I want us to see some things. I want us to focus on God's greatness because many times our mind just gets focused on everything else. Uh, Fortunately, most of you have finished your three tests that some of you had to take today. So now you can focus on something else, right? Uh, and, uh, but so often our mind just gets completely focused on, oh, I've got this work to do. How am I going get, to get all this uh, finished? My, I didn't do good on that first test. How am I going to uh, make it through the rest of the uh, semester? Or your mind could be focused on the finances. You know, how am I going to pay uh, next month's bill? Or how am I going to be able to come back next semester? Uh, or maybe there's a family problem, you know, back home. And it's so easy to get focused on everything except for the Lord. And so here, the psalmist says, you know, great is the Lord. So as we go through this, I want us to look at some principles as well. You know, here we've got the acclamation from the psalmist, we've got a great God. And he's going to go on to give an illustration here of God's greatness. But when you go through the Old Testament and you look at different uh, individuals and see how the impact of God's greatness affected their lives. Because quite often when they refer to God's greatness, it was not in, you might say, the best of circumstances. You know, I think of Nehemiah when his relatives and others came and they told him of the condition of Jerusalem and he's greatly affected. He weeps and he mourns and he fasts uh, for days and then he begins to pray. Here's a condition of Jerusalem that is, he says, we're a reproach to the Lord. Uh, and he knows that in his own, he can't change things. It, it would take God doing something. He would like to go back, but he's the cupbearer. He's basically a slave, a servant. He can't just go in and give a 30 days notice and then uh, head to Jerusalem. So he begins to pray, and how does he start his prayer? Oh God, the great and terrible or awesome God. He realizes if anything is going to change the circumstances, it's going to take the greatness of our God. And he believed that his God was great enough to change the circumstances, to take and use him so God works in the heart of the king the next chapter, he's allowed to go back. So he's faced with the undaunted task of motivating the people to rise up and build when nothing has taken place for a hundred years. So he challenges them. They start to build and then comes the opposition. Now, have any of you faced any opposition at being at school? Uh, has Satan tried to discourage you or to defeat you? And so 
opposition from Samballot, opposition from some of the fellow Jews. And so they said, well, you know, if we continue with this, they're going to fight against us. And ten times they sought to discourage him. And then they come in and say, the burden is too great for us. They're halfway done and they want to quit. And so Nehemiah gets up before them, chapter 4, verse 14. He says, Be not afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible or awesome. He challenges them from God's greatness. He says, Our God can handle this. And so they respond. And what happens? The walls are finished in 50 and 2 days, and the enemy even notices that it was wrought of their God. See, there's opportunity for God to show how great He is in the life of each one of you here today. Through the challenges that you face, whether it's in the classroom, whether it's with the finances, uh, whether it's with uh, family, or uh, other situations, we have a great God. And our God is able. And so Nehemiah went to the Lord in prayer, believing that He's great and He's awesome. And God did not fail him. Then let's go over to the book of Daniel. Now, what was Daniel's situation? You know, Daniel is in captivity also. Some of the overlap here. And so he reads in God's Word that 70 years that Nehemiah or that Jeremiah had prophesied concerning captivity has come to an end. And so he confesses the sins of the people, says, This has been just what God has done to us. And then he prays just like Nehemiah. Oh God, the great and terrible or awesome uh, God who keeps covenant and mercy. You know, we are your people. We confess our sin. Lord, we know that you have a plan. And God revealed to Daniel in answer to his prayer the the 70 weeks of Daniel there in Daniel chapter 9 of God's great plan then for the future, for the coming of the Messiah, His being cut off, and then the final week, which deals with the uh, tribulation period. So you had uh, uh, Daniel. Then you've got Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 32, where what is his condition? Jeremiah has basically, basically been arrested and he's in the court of the prison. His preaching and his message was not accepted. He's persecuted. He's thrown in prison. Then the Lord speaks to Jeremiah and he says, Your uncle's son is going to come and ask you to buy his property to redeem it. And I want you to redeem his property. Now that's kind of an odd request. Because 
What is Jerusalem facing? The invasion of the Babylonians. And Nehemiah or Jeremiah knows that the Babylonians are going to defeat Judah, that Jerusalem will be destroyed. And here God is saying, buy this piece of property that's going to come under the control of the Babylonians. And so God says, here's what I want you to do. So will he believe that there's a purpose in this, that God will bring them back, that God will give them the land back? Notice what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter 32, because God says, is anything too hard for me? And here's what Jeremiah responds. Ah, Lord God, Jeremiah 32, 17, Behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm. There's nothing too hard for thee. Thou showest loving kindness unto thousands, recompensest the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great, the mighty God, the Lord of hosts is His name. Great in counsel, mighty in work, for thine eyes are open upon all the ways of the sons of men to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings, which has set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, even unto this day, and in Israel, and among other men, and has made thee a name as at this day, and has brought forth thy people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs, with wonders, with a strong hand, with a stretched out arm, and with great terror, and has given them this land, which thou didst swear to their fathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. So Jeremiah in the midst of the dire circumstances, he believes that God is still on the throne, that God is great, that He's awesome, that though He seems to be requiring of Jeremiah something that he doesn't quite understand, he believes that God's going to bring them back. God will give them the land. So he buys the land. They set it aside, knowing and uh, with the seal of the documents that eventually that land would belong once again to the Jews and to his uh, descendants. So we have Jeremiah. How about David? When David then brings the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem and he sings a psalm of praise, 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 23, Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Show forth from day to day His salvation. Declare His glory among the heathen. His marvelous works among all nations. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He also is to be feared above all gods. Then verse 34. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for He is good. For His mercy endureth forever. So we see in these passages here, we could go to Isaiah chapter 12, verse 6. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. So here are men that went through some difficult 
circumstances. But yet, their focus wasn't on the difficult circumstances. Their focus wasn't on the problems they were facing. They put their focus on the Lord. Great is the Lord. He is great in His wonders, in His works. He's great in His goodness, in His mercy. I mean, if you go through uh, the Old Testament, His name is great. His mercy is great. He's a great God, a great King. His works are great. He alone doeth great wonders. His glory is great. His mercies, compassion are great uh, as well. So we find here from these first three verses, we should praise the Lord for His greatness. We forget to do that sometimes, don't we? But praising Him for His greatness. Now let's go down to verse 4, if you would. Because here gives us the situation that was taking place. So, celebration. For lo, the kings were assembled. They passed by together. They saw it, so they marveled. They were troubled and hasted away. Fear took hold upon them. And pain as of a woman in travail. Thou breakest the ships of Tarshish with an east wind. As we've heard, so have we seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, God will establish it forever. So what is the circumstances? Most commentators believe this refers to when Jerusalem was surrounded by the Assyrian army. So try to put yourself in the situation. The Assyrians have defeated every nation. They've taken Israel into captivity. They have come down into Judah. They have destroyed the fortified cities of Judah. Lachish has been destroyed. They have images there that they discovered in the reliefs on the walls and the palaces of Nineveh of the destruction that took place at Lachish and Sennacherib bragging on what he accomplished. And so now Jerusalem is surrounded. What hope do they have? Hezekiah takes the letter of mockery from the Assyrians and goes into the house of God and begins to pray. They're in dire circumstances. They cannot defeat the Assyrians in themselves. They cannot accomplish much themselves. Their only hope is the Lord. So Hezekiah lays it out before the Lord. And the Lord basically says, don't worry about it. Says, by the way they came, I'm going to take them like a, uh, with a hook and bring them back. And what happened that night? God sent his angel and slew 185,000. Now it's interesting from the archaeological records where Sennacherib boasts of destroying Lachish and all these other cities, all he could say about Jerusalem is, I had Hezekiah caged like a bird. But he didn't defeat him. God defeated him. Our God is great. And so can you imagine that 
You know, here they're looking at this massive army and God intervenes and delivers them. Now, would that be cause of celebration? Definitely. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Now, here's a principle that we need to note here uh, as well that, you know, as we deal with problems, the Lord's greatness is often revealed in the midst of our dire circumstances. How are you going to see God's greatness if you don't have a problem that takes God's greatness to handle? When we think we can do everything ourselves, then we're not going to look to the Lord. We're not going to be forced to cast ourselves upon Him as Nehemiah was, and as Hezekiah, as David, uh, and others. But in their dire circumstances, realizing I don't have the resources, I cannot solve this problem myself, I must look to the Lord. In the midst of their dire circumstances, they saw God's greatness. Same when Israel, you know, what are the events that are used to display God's greatness in the Old Testament? One, creation. If God can speak and the world's coming to existence, that's greatness, isn't it? Nothing compared to the food we eat or the sports that we uh, see. None of that's great. But when you can speak and the world's coming to existence, now that's greatness. When Israel is against the Red Sea and you've got an army coming against them and they have no defense against the Egyptian army and God intervenes and opens up the Red Sea and they walk across on dry land and then He closes the sea and destroys the Egyptian army. That's greatness. God's deliverance. But it took them being in dire circumstances to see how great their God really is. And so God's going to allow you to be in some difficult circumstances. But He wants you to look to Him to find out how great He is. That He can help you with that class that you don't think you can pass. That He can provide the finances when you don't have any resources to provide the need, that He can give you the strength, that He can give you the wisdom when you're facing a problem that uh, you don't know what to do, then that's when we can see and find out how great our God is if we'll turn and focus on Him, if we'll trust Him in those hours, in those days. And so they celebrate says, look at what God has done, and then their meditation. Verse 9, we have thought, so what did they meditate on? Thy loving kindness. Lord, you've been so great, we don't deserve what you've done for us. We thought of thy loving kindness, O God, in the midst of the temple. Now, That word loving kindness, the word kased, 
We can't translate it by one English word because it has such a wealth of meaning. It's translated mercy. It's translated goodness. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and His wonderful works to the children of men. Uh, mentioned four or five times in Psalm 107. Uh, translated mercy, goodness, faithfulness, loving kindness. It deals with God entering in to a covenant relationship with His people to be their God, that He will be faithful, He will be loving, He will be good, He will fulfill His obligations. And it says over and over again uh, in the Old Testament, 41 times it says His mercy or loving kindness endureth forever. Aren't you thankful God's mercy and loving kindness doesn't change? How many times Israel had failed, but yet God in His mercy, loving kindness, He didn't desert them. He dealt with them, but they're still His people. They meditated, Lord, You have intervened, You've shown Your greatness because You're a covenant-keeping God. You are our God. We're your people. We look to you in our time of distress, in our time of need, and you intervened in a great way and gave a great uh, victory and met the needs, and we're going to praise you for your greatness. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Now, you're young, but if you keep your eyes and focus on the Lord, you're going to learn more and more about God's greatness as you go through life. Uh, I, there were things I learned when I went off to Bible college. Uh, I had some, uh, you know, same uh, struggles that you face. I was uh, coming from a single home, a uh, single parent home. I, I was a work student. So I would work 20 hours a week or so for the wonderful wages of $1.55 an hour. And so how many hours do you have to work to... But, as I was telling one of the classes this morning, room, board, and tuition was only $2,000 a year. Uh, so, but I was on a $100 a month scholarship, which would work off half of my uh, needs there. But I determined, said, Lord, you know, if you'll provide every summer, I'll serve you and trust you to take care of my needs. So first summer, I worked with child evangelism, conducting five-day clubs uh, for a week, two in the morning, two in the afternoon. Second year, worked with neighborhood Bible time. Uh, third year, wanted to go on a missions trip, but the Lord sent me back home to work with my home church, and the pastor was out sick, and so I did all the preaching uh, that summer. But when it came graduation, I owed $100. And my best friend, who was on staff and had graduated a year before, gave me $100 to pay off the bill, so I graduated debt-free. And the Lord just providing in many different ways that I uh, could uh, share. Uh, we saw many times in mission work, you know, God providing. When we had all the need of reaching these people that had lost their homes because of the mud flows and the volcanic uh, eruption, 
and we needed Bibles and other things, and we'd come in uh, because of the death of my mother-in-law, and so talking to some of our supporting churches and churches in uh, Hickory, Lenore, Winston-Salem, provided us with 37,000 copies of John and Romans, uh, just like what we do in the springtime for missionaries. So we could take back and use, because we were working in a resettlement area of 28,000 people, and they'd lost everything. And then not only 37,000 John and Romans, 500 New Testaments, 1,000 correspondence courses in Tagalog, 2 million tracts in uh, Tagalog, uh, so 400 hymnals that we could use in churches that we uh, planted, so just one thing after the other. One guy says, well, uh, my wife needed uh, music stands. So a guy says, well, I work for a sheet metal company, so I'll make music stands for you. Uh, then another says, I work for a pallet company or no one who does, and I'll get you all the pallets you need to build the crates uh, to ship everything in. And so just one thing after the other, as God showed himself strong and great in supplying. And then I've mentioned in uh, one or two of the classes the time when we had visa problems. And so we needed to leave uh, it was around October 25, and typically our visas would be approved back in August. And so we got into September, no approval. Uh, then we're in October, find out that our paperwork had been misplaced or had not been forwarded to the proper office at uh, immigration. So I'm going uh, uh, several times to immigration, so... The Friday before we're supposed to leave for the airport on Monday night, we still don't have a visa. And so I'm at immigration again. And they said, you've got to wait. says your paperwork is in the processing, but you've got to wait for your name to be posted on the Internet. Well, in the 25 years we were there, Typically, they would post the names on Thursday. Well, we're already past Thursday. I had never seen them post names on the weekend. But the next day, there was a new posting on the Internet, and there was our name. We went on Monday to immigration the Lord, and there were other things I was supposed to wait on, and the Lord just opened this door, opened that door, got everything done, got home at 4 o'clock with us leaving about 6 o'clock to go to the airport. You know, I've got a great God. And he says, you know, trust me. But then note verses 12 and 13. Walk about Zion. Go round about her, tell the towers thereof, mark you well her bulwarks, consider her palaces, that you may tell it to the generation following. He says, go and look. He says, look, the, the towers aren't destroyed. The walls haven't been broken down. He says, look, he says, we're still here. He says, look at what God has done, and we need to look, and then we need to tell. 
We, the next generation needs to know how great our God is. See, one of the saddest commentaries in the Old Testament is in the book of Judges, chapter 2. It says that all the days of Joshua and the elders that outlived him that saw the great works of the Lord, they served the Lord. But in verse 10 it says, There arose another generation. A new generation that knew not the Lord, neither the works that He had done for Israel. So we need to proclaim how great our God is. We need to share with others so they know, but we need to go a step beyond that. Look in the last verse. For this God is what? Our God, forever and ever, He will be our guide even unto death. I mean, it's great to see what God has done for other people. It's great to praise the Lord for answers to prayer, for the missionaries, etc. But we need to go beyond that to where we can say, this God, this great God is my God. This God who has done things for Dr. Ashley or for Dr. Comfort in the founding of this school, this God is my God, and let me tell you what He's done in my life. Let me tell you the prayers that He's answered, the doors that He's opened, the needs that He has met, what He's done that I cannot do. For this God is our God. The God who opened the Red Sea, the God who brought water out of the rock, the God uh, who's opened doors, the God of Hudson Taylor, the God of George Mueller. This God is our God. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, He's your God. And He wants you to walk with Him. He wants you to experience His greatness His goodness, that this God is our God. So let me challenge you this morning. Don't focus on the difficulties you're facing, the problems. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Focus on Him. He's the answer. He is great. He can do what you can't do. Don't be like Peter. You know, as long as Peter kept his eyes on the Lord, he's walking on water. But as soon as he took his eyes off the Lord and focused on the storm, he began to sink. And some of you may be in that danger of beginning to sink because you've got your eyes off of the one who is great and awesome, who can do what you can't do, and can show himself strong in your behalf for his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we thank you that you're a great God, that nothing is too hard for you, that in our dire circumstances, in our need, you're ready and willing to show yourself strong and great if we'll look to you and trust you. And walk with you. Father, I pray 
for some here that may be struggling today. Their focus has been on their studies and other things in a wrong aspect because they've forgotten that you're the one who makes the difference. That you're the one that can give them the ability. That you're the one that can provide their needs. That can provide the finances. That can solve the problems. That can give wisdom. That you're still the great God and you're our God. And with their heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe there's some here you say, Brother Ashley, God has spoken to my heart this morning. There's a need in my heart to keep my focus on the Lord and not on the difficulties and the dire circumstances. And you say, Brother Ashley, pray for me. I want to keep my focus on how great my God is. And you just slip up here and say, Brother Ashley, pray for me. Yes, quite a number. Father, thank you for these students, the privilege of ministering to them. I pray you would open their eyes, increase their faith, let them see how great and awesome you are and help them to walk by faith and not by sight. We commit them to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's take our songbooks, hymn number 6.